Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Today's scripture comes from Isaiah chapter 61, verses 10 through 11. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My whole being shall exult in my God. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with a garland, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its shoots, And as a garden causes what is sown in it to spring up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. This is the word of the Lord. It is a gift to have Chesney and Jeff around to help us to get organized for worship. Uh, Brittany is off at home this weekend. Newly married couples travel like that, and so that she is there in Arkansas this weekend and will be back soon. Uh, we are in the, the first and only Sunday of the Christmas season. Next week, we'll have a little bit different backdrop here, and we will be into the Epiphany season, but we get to celebrate Christmas one more Sunday today. But before we do, I would like to ask that you would take a few moments and just pray for me as I prepare to preach. God, I believe you have something very specific that you want to say today. Do with me whatever you need to do so that you can get that thing said today. And may we respond to grace with grace. In your son's name we pray, amen. Part of what I like about preaching through Advent is that you are handed a a weekly theme, a weekly emphasis. If you remember, it was hope and then it was peace and then it was joy, and then it was love, and then you get to the first Sunday of of Christmas, and it's nothing. You don't get anything like that. So I have supplied my own today, right? So the the theme that we're going to push today is this theme, and this is a favorite of mine, this theme of covenant. But it's not just that. If I were to push it even farther, it would be covenant celebration. We are celebrating a covenant today. And, and if you need a, a mental image, here is the mental image that I will give you as we are trying to uh, emphasize covenant celebration today. Now, I don't know the story behind these, this, this story. I don't know the story behind this picture. I, I, I don't know what all is going on here today, but I'm certainly happy to make a story up for us today. <laughs> Let, let's say that this is... Not just, in order to kind of get the gist of what's going on today and to make this, story, this picture representative of it, this is not just a marriage. We're going to call this a remarriage. In fact, I would say to you that this is the second time this couple has gotten married. There was a first marriage, and then there were 
terrible decisions made. And they were wildly happy at first. For the first, like, week, they were very, very, very happy. And then, slowly but surely, something happened. Slowly but surely, uh, one of them, don't know which, one of them started to look around. Slowly, slowly, one of them, don't know which, started to wander away. And wandered away so far that for all intents and purposes, the first time they went through all of this was nullified. Nullified. In the midst of that season of pain, the one that was left rightfully felt abandoned. The one who wandered away wandered kind of into oncoming traffic and things were terrible and, and it went so terribly for this particular person that that person also at some point felt abandoned, maybe, maybe even by God. But then something new happened. That, that is kind of the, the storyline that we're going to track here today. And the story that I just made up uh, uh, in support of this picture here is, is kind of the picture, the kind of the story that we see in the Old Testament. Everything started really well. All the way back in Isaiah chapter 5, God is saying, let me sing for my beloved my love, songs concerning his vineyard. This is, a, this is the, the first marriage. This is the first time that God reached out and established this covenant with the people of God. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it. He hewed out a wine vat in it. It was great. We had not only this love, but we had a place for it. Things were great. Things were great. And then at the end of verse 2, things start to change pretty abruptly. He expected it to yield grapes, but it yielded Wild grapes. If I were to keep reading verse 3, and now inhabitants of Jerusalem and people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard, says God. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I expected it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? Once you get past the first five, maybe six books of the Old Testament, so much of the Old Testament has to do with this very painful story. This very painful story that will result in some sense in divorce, the nullifying of the covenant. Exile is what we call it. I'll, I'll say it again. You're going to hear me say it a couple times today. If you haven't yet taken Jason's class, which I would call a kind of a, a, a primer, on narrative theology, how we understand the entirety of the story to hang together and then extend into our own timelines. You need to take it. What, what you will find is that there is this giant swath of the Old Testament that seems to be consumed with this topic of exile. So many books, so many books are history books detailing the small and yet significant ways in which things kind of came apart. So much of the Old Testament is poetry or prophecy that in artistic ways describe the pain and the anguish of this entire breakup, let's call it. Friends, Israel abandoned God. God finds God's self forsaken. 
Israel wanders away, but after wandering away from God and the covenant, things go tragically wrong for the people of God. Worse than she ever could have imagined. There was defeat. There was exile. There was another defeat. There was another exile. There was desolation. Ridicule then, as other nations mocked the people of God in the absence of their protector. Where is your God? We have our gods. We seem to be doing better than you. Where is your God? Israel finally wondered if everything had in fact been lost. Israel, the people of God, formed by God to be the people of God, now wondered if God had given up on them. And we read lots of passages. Maybe we don't put them into their historical context often enough. But this is a familiar verse that is saying what I'm saying to you, Israel wondering out loud if God had disappeared. Recognize this? My God, my God. This is Israel speaking. Why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but find no rest. Has God actually, actually abandoned the people who abandoned God? You guys might want to find those seatbelts and put them on because this is a tough part. This is the toughest part of the sermon right here. Ready? The answer to the question, did God abandon us, is Yes. Isaiah 54, God says, well, yeah, for a brief moment, I abandoned you. But with great compassion, I will gather you. In overflowing wrath for a moment, I hid my face from you, but with everlasting love, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord your Redeemer. Now somebody here is bothered by that. Wait a minute. This does not fit the songs that I like to listen to in my car. Have you ever thought for a minute that when we talk about being made in the image of God, that it not only says something about us, but perhaps it says something about God? I mean, yes, it is a huge compliment to you that you are made in the image of God. But might that also mean that God suffers some of the stuff that we suffer when we suffer? Is it possible that God has recognizable and familiar responses when God is abandoned? <laughs> when people walk away from God, is it possible that what we are seeing finally here in Scripture in Isaiah 54 is that in fact, we are made in God's image. There is a lot about us that tells us a lot about God. Man. I did run across this very interesting line from Shakespeare, of all people, this week in the course of studying for this. And Shakespeare says this in A Midsummer Night's Dream, the course of true love never did run smooth. But this God, the same one that said, yeah, for a brief moment, yep, yeah, in my overflowing wrath for a moment, yep, yeah, but you know what? I've decided. <laughs> I've decided I will have compassion on you. So how does 
the God who was so wounded and hurt that God would turn? How does God restore a broken covenant? Well, here's how God restores it. Ready? God restores it. God takes the initiative. God sets God's face for the future. God decides against, and we talked about this last week. You ready? God decides against if-then language, and maybe that's what it was at one time but it's not like that anymore. God decides against if-then conditional language and leans into, remember the word from last week? I mean, here it comes again. You're welcome to say it with me. Instead of if-then language, it is nevertheless. God decides. God decides that this will now be a different, let's go back to that picture, right? Let's think of the picture before. I told you that I think that that is that is a picture of a, of a couple who's getting married for the second time. How might that have come about? How might that second covenant have come about? Here's what I would guess. And by the way, I have seen this before. I've seen this in a couple of different cases before, where a couple marries, divorces, it's bad, and then gets back together, and it's better. Now, how does that happen? Well, in what I have observed, it goes something like this. One or both decide that forgiveness is a better way forward. And all God's people said, now, I'm not saying what you think I might be saying. Sometimes when covenants dissolve, they dissolve because somebody has been violent with somebody else. Someone has subtracted the, the dignity from somebody else, the humanity from somebody else. I'm not saying that if someone has sinned against you, you are obligated to remarry that person. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying to you it is my observation that the two times I have watched this happen around here, it's because the two parties decided, or at least one of them decided, forgiveness is the key to the future. One of those two in that picture, again, I get to make up the story, so I get to make up the rules, amen? All right. One of those two said, that was bad. That was bad. And I love that person still. One of those two in that picture said, I've decided I'm going to love anyway, nevertheless. I've decided I'm going to pursue and rebuild what has been demolished. Spoke about it a little bit last week. We get to revisit it today. There does seem to be a moment in Scripture when God, looking at the carnage of what was the covenant with the people of God, there does seem to be a moment. You can kind of see it in Isaiah chapter 40. After the people of God, having wandered away, have suffered and suffered and suffered for so, so long, there does seem to be this moment when God says, I cannot stand this anymore. Comfort ye, my people. I am coming for you. And we're going to give this another shot. And then Isaiah 42, I don't know, 55, there is, this, there is this very positive, after it's been so dark for so long in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 40 through 55 seemed to be saying, yeah, we're going to get this whole thing back together. God is going to push God's initiative, and God's going to redeem and reclaim and restore and renew. The people are brought back from exile, and it's really, it's really a struggle, but still there is this hope and this optimism, and everything seems to be hinging on 
God's choice for God's people more than it hinges on the response of the people for God. This is super important. What we say around here each week is not, your mind about God is made up and the news is good. That's not what we say. What we say around here is, God's mind about you is made up and the news is good. God does the heaviest lifting. God moves first. God reaches farther. And it is our belief that there is a covenant that can be reestablished between you and God, not when you do all the work that God is doing, but when you finally listen and respond to the work that God has already done. When I say to you, God's mind about you is made up and the news is good, here's what I hope, here's what I hope your response will be. Wow. Then what, then what more can I do than respond to love with love with my life? That's what I hope happens. And so we arrive at Isaiah 61, and it seems to be wedding day. The second wedding day goes something like this. You've already heard it read. I will rejoice. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My whole being shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. This is the, the author right here. The prophet is speaking as a representative of all of the people of God here. As a bridegroom decks himself with a garland, as a bride adorns her herself with her jewels, for as the earth brings forth its shoots, and as a garden causes what is sown it to spring up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness or right relatedness and praise to spring up before all of the nations. All of this is because God has chosen us again. Walter Brueggemann says this, the joy expressed in the end does not concern the person or the office of the speaker, the prophet. It concerns the consequence for the entire community of the people of God. The speaker is of only instrumental importance. The object of God's salvation and righteousness is the community that will be filled with righteousness and praise. Man, if you have your Bible, it even gets better than this. Look at chapter 62, verse 1. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest until her vindication shines out like the dawn and her salvation like a burning torch. Those nations who were ridiculing us before, they shall see your vindication and all the kings your glory, and you shall be called a new name, which is what happens in weddings. A new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. Verse 4, you shall no more be termed forsaken. And your land shall no more be termed desolate. That became the nickname for the land, desolate. But you shall be called, my delight is in her. And your land will be nicknamed married. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. All right, now you're going to have to forgive me. I'm going to lapse into a little bit of teacher mode right now because I have this really cool quote. Have you ever heard of the, this term, Beulah land. Have you ever, like me, just sort of relegated it to the annals of Southern gospel music and such that you don't really have to know what it means? <laughs> yep, that's me. Like, Beulah land. Oh, 150-year-old people sing that song. <laughs> Beulah land, though. What are we talking about here? I got some help this week. From Walter Brueggemann again. Now says the silence-breaking God, the season of abandonment is over. Yahweh acts in a new resolve. 
if abandoned, be understood as divorce, and the positive alternative is married, it is worth noting that the term rendered married is from the same root as Baal, the god of fertility. And the land that is married as a land is Baal, or literally in the Hebrew, ready? Beulah land. Beulah land is the term that we have used. The term that we have used to describe that our God has chosen us again, and we live together in this happy matrimony because God has chosen it, and where we live is Beulah land. Nobody else is excited about that as me and dad are. Okay, we, we are loving this. Okay. Thus, the imagery of divorce or widowhood is transposed into an agricultural term for land barren and unproductive. Now this people is re-loved. And by the way, you are those people. Now this people is re-loved and the city is restored and the land is recovered for fruitfulness and productivity. That is so cool. I like that. Completely free of charge today, yeah. But friends, this is still God's posture toward us and God's intentions toward us. Uh, God is still reaching for us, offering God's self, offering again and again and again a covenant that God will not abandon. And God waits for your response for my response, for our response. Now, during the season of Christmas, this, what I'm talking about now, the God who extends God's self in love and waits for a response, this is how we understand a nativity scene. This is how we understand how God shows up. This is how we understand why it makes some sense that God would show up not in an effort to overpower, not in an effort to intimidate, but in a vulnerable, weakened state. The only way to understand this is the extension of God's love. In other words, there came a moment when one of those spouses reached out to the other, perhaps one had wandered away, there came a moment when that spouse who decided, no, I'm going to make the first move. I'm going to reach first. I'm, I'm going to do, I'm, if I have to, I'll have to, I'll have to cover more ground than the other one does. And, and walks right up to the other and says, will you have me back? A nativity scene is God saying, will you have me back? We've sung it a couple times today. Hark the herald angels sing. It's a good Wesleyan hymn, by the way. Glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. Oh, how? Because God chose to do the work. We, we also sang it in the song that we've come to know this Year. I remember the first time we saw this on the worship order, we were looking at the worship order of the songs as we always do in our worship planning meeting, and then Brittany wasn't there, actually. She had chosen the song. We looked at it, and we go, oh, this must be a misprint. <clears throat> this says, oh, come all ye unfaithful. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> kind of fits, though. Oh, 
Come, all you unfaithful, come, weak and unstable. Come, know you are not alone. Come, barren and waiting ones, wearying of praying, come, see what your God has done. Here's what God has done. Christ is born. And man, I want you to feel this as much as I talk about faith being a team sport and how faith is better understood by all of us than it is by any one of us. I want you to feel this personally. Ready for this? Christ is born. Christ is born. Christ is born for you. You get the invitation. I hope you hear it, see it every time you see a nativity scene. How many of you have nativity scenes up at home? You should. You should. Doesn't have to be big, elaborate, ornate. It can be sometimes the simpler the better, the tiny ones, sometimes. But I do hope you at the very least have a baby Jesus in there somewhere. (laughs) And I do hope that seeing the baby Jesus somewhere in there, you understand what it is that God is saying. God is saying, Christ is born for you. Will you have me now? Every time you look at an activity scene, understand it as an invitation. An invitation to a restored covenant. <clears throat> now, I'm going to say it again. I'm going to keep saying it until I can get long time OKC First Nazarenes to take it. Everybody's got to take Jason's class. Everybody's got to take it. There is so much good waiting for you once you understand that this is not just a a book of wisdom. It's not just a a book of of, uh, 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 cliches. It's not just a book of good stories. It is a story, capital S, that seeks to enfold you as it unfolds. You need to take this class. And you need to take the spiritual formation class. (laughs) <laughs> I had somebody say to me, Pastor, I hate it when prayers are announcement and when your sermons become announcements. Well, tough. Okay, so. <laughs> Some of you need just a little bit of help to hear the voice of God. Sometimes God whispers. I know some some good long-time Nazarenes who are very well-behaved, who cannot identify the voice of God as God whispers. They have for so long been well-behaved that just being well-behaved seems like the fullest expression of their faith. I love those people, and I ache for those people. If that is you today, hear, hear me, hear me. There is more. There is more than the good feelings you get when you don't do a bad thing. There is more than the feelings you get when you do good things. And I love that for you too, but there is more. There is a reason that we have used over the years words like relationship as it has to do with your connection to God. What about this word, intimacy? What if, friends, What if your life of faith was not fueled by a low burn of guilt 
the worry that you might end up not on God's good list. Sometimes we, we have this weird way of making God into a giant Santa. But what if your life of faith was absolutely fueled by, powered by this sense that you are loved so deeply by this God, so deeply, and having drunk in this deep love of God, your life can't help but respond with a lived out and embodied, I love you too. Friends, not only is that possible, I would not be standing here today had I not had that experience. I finally heard God say, yep, I know who you are. <laughs> it's embarrassing. And I choose you. I want you. Knowing everything I know about you, I still choose you. And it changed my life. Spiritual formation will help you to hear that voice and that message and at the same time help you to respond and grasp the extended hand of God, extended to you. You might say to me, well, then what do I do if I've already taken both those classes? <clears throat> well, Eric is helping us with this. Eric and Kelly Yates, we're, we're going to have a, a third sort of core set of classes called Just Faith. Those classes tell you how to partner with God to undertake the calling of God. You need to seriously invest. I wish there was a day of the year that you could like make new commitments, right? I wish there was a day when you could, when you could just say, you know what? Having put this last year behind me, anybody else like me want to put this last year behind you? Amen? Anybody else? Okay. Looking forward to 2024. What if there was a way to say, I'm going to do something different in 2024? I, I would invite you to somehow explore a New Year's resolve. <laughs> resolutions, I, I saw a funny quote about resolutions. Resolutions are great because I'm the only policeman to know whether or not I'm actually fulfilling my obligations. <laughs> well, it's instead of New Year's resolutions that are kind of easy come, easy go, what if, what if we talked about a New Year's resolve? And what if we narrowed it down to this? that you would listen for the voice of God. <laughs> if you will just listen to the voice of God, listen for it, learn to listen for it, if you'll finally hear the voice of God, it'll look something like this. John, you do not know what I've done. The story that I've just tried to unpack in Scripture tells you about a group of people that God extended God's self to. They said yes for a minute, and then they wandered away, and it was awful. And then God in God's grace said, I'm tired of it being awful. I'm coming for you. That God is still God. That God knows everything there is to know about you, and still chooses you. Some of you, your best days are ahead of you. They're just on the other side of a yes. Just on the other side of a yes. If you're helping us today, please come and help us set this table. 
let me give you another way to understand what we do each and every week, week around here. This is in some sense, in some sense, this is a, a very dramatic portrayal of a wedding reception. <laughs> we are celebrating. Eucharist means Thanksgiving. We are celebrating here who God is and how God does. Each and every week, God extends God's self to you no matter how painful it might be. Each and every week, you are given opportunity because we end up right here. Every service, we end up right here. Each and every week, God, somebody might say to me, hey, John, why don't you ever open? The altars are always open. But this is where you say your yes or no. The table is where you hear God say all over again, I am extending myself to you. What do you say? <laughs> what do you say? So Heavenly Father, bless these elements, and with them, God, strengthen us to say yes. Focus us to hear your voice. Grant us the capacity, God, and even the courage to consider how it is that we might invest in that process whereby we would learn to hear your whispering but constant voice and call. God, with the bread and the cup, may we be strengthened to listen. May we be strengthened then to respond. And may we be strengthened and organized to be the bread that is taken, blessed, broken, and given for the sake of all the others. All the others. In a moment, all who are willing will be invited to stand, to exit your pews to the left, and to come forward with your hands cupped. Now, you don't have to participate. All are invited, but none are compelled. Well, John, I don't know if I'm qualified to take part today. If you understand your need for grace as I do, if you made a terrible mistake this morning and therefore understand your need for grace, it's the grace that qualifies you. Or your understanding of that need for grace qualifies you to participate with us today. So if you're going to participate, after you exit your pew to the left, I'm going to invite you to come forward with your hands cupped. And as you approach somebody with cupped hands, somebody holding a plate of bread, that person will take a piece of bread, place it into your hands and say this mind-bending line to you. This is the body of Christ broken for you. God extends God's self to you in the form of broken bread. Take that piece of bread, dip it into the cup. When you do, the person holding the cup will say, and this is the blood of Christ shed for you. Blows my mind if I really sit and think about it. Blood shed for you. This is God in love extending God's self to you again and again and again. And then take and eat. That would be today your yes. Good things happen when the people of God stack their yeses. Yes after yes after yes. Then we are shaped to be more and more like the one who extends grace. So after you have taken and eaten, <clears throat> hope you'll find a place to pray. Now you can circle right back around to your pew and pray right there. You can come up to one of these kneeling benches up front 
We won't assume anything, but somebody will come by and just make sure that you know that you're not alone. If you go to one of those side padded altars, we'll assume that you are there for a prayer for healing, and somebody who knows how to pray that prayer will meet you there and anoint you with oil and pray that prayer for physical, mental, emotional, relational healing. And then you may want to make a special trip right up here to this bowl of water. Once you dip your fingers into this water, the hope is that it will jog your memory, that you'll be reminded of the moment of your baptism, maybe the moment that you came up out of the water, when you were understood as part of this covenantal family. If you need to be reminded that you belong, this is a place where you can do that. So on the night that he was betrayed, that our Savior took bread. He blessed it. He broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you. And every time you eat of it, remember me. Later on, he took the cup and held it up before them and said, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant. And every time you drink of it, including today, remember me. Remember me. And now all across the sanctuary, if you would, Stand to your feet, exit your pews to your left, and come forward with your hands cut to receive these gifts of God, meant to image God and supply and resource the people of God.